0: I'd like you to imagine this, imagine that somehow you were singularly put in charge of organizing a family reunion next summer. Everyone that you consider family needs to all be at the same place at the same time and everybody needs to get along. You feeling all right? Some of you are acting triggered right now. I can see it. Some of you feel like, oh, you just finished doing that. Like this last weekend, you just finished doing that. You finished pulling it off. Well, see, for all of us, when we start thinking about family, especially the whole thing, the whole thing, um, there, there are going to be some mixed feelings. Because every family is funky. <laughs> <laughs> You could quote that. Every family, you got, there's something funky in every single family. Don't point. No. Just, yeah. just something funky in every, every family, everywhere. And in the passage that we're going to be looking at today, and my hunch is you have never actually heard a sermon on this passage, even though it's the first 17 verses of the New Testament we're gonna to get to know Jesus's family a little bit better. Now, the, um, like I said, this, these are the first 17 verses of the New Testament. So we're in Matthew chapter one, verses one through 17. And if you're like me, most of the times when you've read it, like I'm gonna read the New Testament and you get to this part and you're like, I'm going to speed read this part and I'm going to pick things up in verse 18 where things make sense again. Kind of like if you've ever read through the book of Numbers. Sometimes people like, I'm going to read through the Bible and you get to the book of Numbers and you're like, uh... Okay. So, I'm just warning you in advance, there are a lot of begats. There's a lot of begats. And there are some things in the midst of this list of begats that are actually really important for us to know and and I and even here in these first seventeen verses of the Bible, in this weird list of a funky family, we see the gospel so now just um let's see here i, I need you to. Well, how about pinch, your, pinch yourself for just for a second because I need you alert, okay? And, and if you have a hard time staying alert for these first 17 verses, just I want you to imagine if I called you up last night and said, hey, would you read scripture in church tomorrow? And, and then you said, yes, pastor, I gladly will. And then I tell you what the passage is, just imagine how you would feel the moment you realized what passage you were about to read and all these, all these crazy names were about to plow through and all that stuff, okay? Now, um, or, 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 if, or, or just help each other out, you can, you can pinch your neighbor uh, right now too, if, if it looks like they're just a little bit, not there, no, no on the arm, just pinch pinch your neighbor <laughs> on on their arm and keep them keep them alert. and um, we're gonna go through this, and I'm gonna leave just a, a little bit of commentary and I'm bringing out my big bad reader glasses because this is this is a passage kind of like that. but um, and on the screen, um, though I, I would I should say this as well, if you can also have your like your digital Bible out right now or your paper Bible out uh, because We're going to understand this passage best if your eyes are going to be able to move around it a little bit without having to follow screens too, too much. Okay, all right, let's go. You ready? You alert? You don't, I don't believe you. You ready? You alert? Okay, okay, okay. that's, that's, That's good enough. Here we go. Matthew chapter 1 verses 1 through 17 this is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah the son of David the son of Abraham Abraham was the father of Isaac Isaac the father of Jacob remember Jacob is the one who would later be named Israel so the, the country of Israel is named after Jacob/Israel okay Jacob Israel was the father of Judah and his brothers Judah the father of Perez and Zerah whose mother was Tamar. We're gonna come back to that. Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Abimedad; Abimedad, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, he was a bad king, by the way. Rehoboam, the father of Abijad, another bad king. Abijad, the father of Asa, good king. Yeah. Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat, good king. Jehoshaphat, the father of uh, Jehoram, good king. Bad king. Jehoram, the father of of Uzziah, good king. Uzziah, the father of Jotham, good king. Jotham, the father of Ahaz, bad, bad king, worst king. Anyways, under Ahaz, the, the Assyrians took over the northern empire. Horrible. Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, good king. Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, bad king. Manasseh, the father of Ammon, bad king, Ammon, the father of Josiah, good king, Josiah, the father of uh, uh, Jeconiah, also known as Jehoiakim, who is a bad king, and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. After the exile to Babylon, uh, Jeconiah was the father of of Shealtiel. Shilteel, the father of Zerubbabel, who is a governor, Zerubbabel, the father of Abahub, Abahub the father of Eliakim, Elaim, the father of Azkor, Azkor the father of Zadok, Zadok the father of Achim, Achim the father of Elihud, Elihud the father of Elisa. Elisa, the father of Mathan, Mathan the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. And Mary was the mother of Jesus, who was called the Messiah. Thus there were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile in Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. Now, so in this genealogy, I know, I can see faces like, whoa, where are we going with this? Big long list. The main point of this list is that the Messiah is in the is in the line of of King David, just like it had been prophesied. And the whole those 14s, when sevens and patterns of sevens show up in the Bible, those things tend to be meaningful. Seven is a number of completion. So if you've got um, you know two, well, three cycles of fourteen, that's kind of a note of this is a complete story, this is the right number, the, the whole story is complete. I want did you notice there there is it's almost like there is a highlighter in in the list? Because this is this is the list on the father's side. So right down to Joseph, who though he's not Jesus' biological father, and we're gonna look at that passage next week, he's Jesus' legal father. So it's a it's a it's, so it's a genealogy tracing the fathers, and yet the, there's four mothers other than Mary that show up in the story. And it's almost like, that, like, there's, a, almost like there's a highlighter on these passages. Like, so here, here's, the, here's the father, but remember the mother. Let's take a closer look at that, okay? Well, why do you think that's there? Why do you think they do that weird thing with the genealogy? Why not just list the guys? If the, if the genealogy is of all the guys, why, why bringing these women into the story? there's other genealogies that would be by the mom. Why why include them here? Oh, you intrigued yet? I hope you are. Okay, so let's start looking through the list, okay? So the first person who shows up in the list, and here's here's where it's good for you to be looking through your paper Bibles or your digital Bible. So we're getting into, into verse three. Judah, the father of Perez and Zariah, whose mother was Tamar. So there's this story in Genesis chapter 38, okay? And um, so so Judah, he is one of the of the sons of, of Jacob slash Israel, is one of the, the ones who becomes the leader of the tribe of Judah. So he is this, he's a person who's going to become this major figure in the history of Israel. I mean, even still to this day, there's a land called Judah because of this dude, right? So he has three sons. And um, his, and we read about this in Genesis chapter 38. And, and his first son, his eldest son, Ur, by the way, as you get to know this story, you'll understand why nobody names their son Ur, or the next name we're about to uh, tackle here. So Ur turns out to be a really horrible Person And so verse 7, chapter 38, verse 7, that even though he's Judah's firstborn, he was wicked in the Lord's sight and the Lord put him to death. How? We don't know. But that, that leaves Tamar as a widow. And so there was this really weird, like, to us at least, it seems like a really weird thing that they would do back in Bible times to well, to, to help preserve like, the family inheritance, the lineage lines, and probably most importantly, to take care of the needs of widows. Now, this is going to sound to you just so, so bizarre. But the deeper we look into it, the more we see this was actually something that was done for the women's protection. Because for a woman to not have any children, like children, that was the social security system. That was was her long-term safety. That was her long-term provision. And so she died childless because God killed her husband because he was a loser. So Ur is dead and they had this custom where if one of the brothers dies, here's where it's about to get funky people, is one of the other brothers, it's his job to marry the widow and impregnate her so that her children would be considered the children of the brother. I yeah I, I know I, I don't write this stuff. But it was done at the time. <laughs> it was done at the time for the protection of the widows. Okay. But the problem is, you see, Judah, he was he. You can be a you can be a person who is like a, in God's family tree, but that doesn't necessarily make you a godly person. Judah is not a good dad, and and his sons are not good guys, and so so then Onan, who's the second born, he has to marry Tamar, and it's his job watching everyone's in children's church, we're fine. Okay. It's his job his, to impregnate her so that she can bear children that will be in his son's, like his brother's name. But Onan, Onan, he's, he's a loser like his brother, and so he's happy to, to I'm going to say this euphemistically, start the job but will not finish the job. So he has he, he is, he is failed in his duty he will not do what's going to actually help his brother's widow. And so he dies. So God strikes him dead too, because he's another bad kid. Now, then the, the story gets even weirder, because then Judah, uh, Judah, rather than saying, oh, I should, I should discipline my sons better, his first thought is Tamar is killing them. So he, he so he, he tells Tamar to leave the family. He sends her off on her own. So now this poor widow has, has no resources and functionally nowhere to go. And so she does something in a desperate time. So she goes off and, and, and she actually dresses herself up as a prostitute. Judah, the father-in-law, is on a trip. He stops by the prostitute's place. Remember, he's not a good guy. And ends up meeting Tamar there, doesn't know it's Tamar. He impregnates her and then goes home like nothing happened. Three months later, the family discovers that Tamar is pregnant, that he's accused of prostitution, they all want to kill her. And so then they, she brings out definitive proof that Judah's the father and Judah realizes it was his fault all along. You got to read the Bible more, I'm serious, folks. This is Genesis chapter 38 and no, they're not teaching this in children's church right now. But you got to read your Bible, and here's the point of this. Here's the point of this. There was funkiness in Jesus' family. And just because these are people who are part of a godly line, it doesn't mean that they have lived in godly ways. And Judah, even though he's the, he's the heir of the promise, he is one of the twelve, he's got these incredible promises for his life, he was not a good father, and his sons were not good, were not good boys and and I'm, I'll, I'll go through the other, the other uh, parts of the story uh, a little bit faster, but um, it's interesting that Even in his genealogy of Jesus, Matthew goes out of his way to point that out. Isn't that weird? Like, when you post pictures on Instagram, if you do that, you post pictures on Facebook, you post the nice pictures, right? You could have told this story and just gone, okay, and so then Judah, and then Perez, and then Perez, the Hezron. You could have just blown on past it, but, but, but Matthew didn't. Why, why, why? Okay, so, so Tamar's the first. This, this, Tamar's the first to kind of highlight, there's, there, there's, there's weirdness in the storyline. Okay, then we get to uh, verse five, salmon, the, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. do you remember Rahab from the from the Jericho story? What was Rahab you, we We can say it out loud it's okay. She was a prostitute, so she was living in Jericho, and some of the Israelite spies came and they and they stayed at her house, and she also realized that the the, the God of the Israelites was was about to destroy their city. And that she had faith in the God of the Israelites. And, and so she ultimately helped the, the Israelites in their invasion of Jericho. And as a result of this, she functionally joined, joined the Israelite nation, including marrying into the Israelite nation by salmon, right? And here's the part that's also so interesting about her. Was she an Israelite? Answer, no, she was a Canaanite. Here in Jesus's lineage, Jesus's lineage, this one who is the Messiah of Israel, we've got already in in his history, there are Gentiles, Remember how we were in the book of Acts and we learned like this big revelation in the early church is that the good news is not just for the Jews, it's for everyone. So here, even in Jesus's lineage, we've got a a Canaanite woman, okay? And then, then Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Ruth, now her story isn't quite so scandalous. It's much more inspiring. But Ruth, do you remember what what nationality she was? She was a Moabite. There's another Gentile that is now in the royal family tree of Israel. Here's another Gentile that is part of God's family tree. Whoa, okay, okay. Obed, the father of Jesse. Jesse, the father of King David. David, the father of, of, of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Now, now what, what, was, what was her first name? Do you remember? Because you, prob- you might have even learned this story in Sunday school, maybe. <laughs> David and Bathsheba. That's Bathsheba. And it's this reminder that even King David, though he was thought of as the best king of Israel because like Israel was united under him and there was all this wealth and opulence, he had his problems too. And even in these stories of polygamy, for example, those show up there. Remember when the Bible talks about polygamy, this is not an endorsement. It's it's a report. And, And by the way, it always ends badly. It's not an endorsement. But what it is, it's pointing to, even in this lineage of Jesus, even in this, in this godly, this, or this kind of, this line of God's people, that doesn't mean everybody who is one of God's people is a godly person themselves. Everyone's got a past. Everyone's got some funkiness, right? I just, I just wonder, so why, why tell the story this way, Matthew? You didn't have to do that. Why tell the story this way? Now, here's my theory. It's okay to use our imaginations a little bit as we look to unpack the Bible. I think Jesus got this, this, this history of, of Jesus' family tree from Jesus. He was one of the 12. He would have spent significant time with Jesus. And one of the things that you would talk about is where, tell us about your family. And we already know that Joseph was of the line of David. Because remember, well, we're going to get to this story in the in, in, in book of Luke. That's why they needed to make the whole trip to, to Bethlehem in the first place. He's part of the line of David. So Jesus was well aware of this. His legal father was part of the line of David. And so as he's telling this story, you know, the reason why I think Matthew tells the story this way is because I think this is the way that Jesus told his own story. And Jesus went out of his way to tell his own genealogy and including, as he's telling the story, he's talking about the funkiness of his family. He includes the bad parts too. He leaves the Instagram filter off. He's not afraid. So I tell that I want to take us through this passage. I'm just so excited to preach the Advent this year. Um, I want to to make three points really quickly and then just look to apply them to our lives. Okay, point number one. Jesus' people have a messy past. Point number two. Jesus is not afraid to associate with people with a messy past. Point number three. Why? Because Jesus redeems our past. He's not afraid of the weirdness and the funkiness in his own history because he came to save it. To redeem it. He's not afraid of our sin. He's not afraid of our brokenness. He's he came to save us from it, to save us in it. That's why he's here. Even in these opening, and I admit confusing passages of the New Testament, we see the gospel. Jesus is not afraid of his brokenness. He is not afraid, or his past history's brokenness. And he's not afraid of yours either. Your past does not keep you from Jesus. Your family past does not keep you from Jesus. Because Jesus redeems our past. And he starts brand new legacies. One of the things that we sometimes do, um, in, like in counseling, and learn some of this in, in you know in classes I took, and if you've ever gone to a therapist, and I highly recommend it by the way, um, is uh, is you know we we talk about our family tree. You know, one so one of the little tools that they'll sometimes use, and I don't know I don't know if we can do can we can we do a bit of a close up shot just because I want to show people something that's on my page here. Um, do a bit of a geneogram, and if you've got your notes, get your ser- your sermon notes out. Um, we can uh, maybe just for a moment grab the pen that's in front of your on this in the seats in front of you, if you want. And you you could even start to outline a bit of your family tree. Because see, one of the things that happens and things like tools, like a geneogram, can be a useful tool. You see, very often, as we you know, as we as we look at, at you know the, the histories of our families, we start to see the generational legacies there. And some of those legacies are going to be really positive ones. You know, really, really good things. You know, when, when I'm counseling couples as they're preparing for marriage, I say, you know, you know, what is something from your family of origin that you that you are looking forward to having in this new family that you're that you're creating together. You know, what are those strengths? Because all of us, you know, we, like our family of origin, it's kind of like our operating system. You know, we've, we've got this, there's these, here's how we do things, here's how we handle conflict, here's how we handle emotions, here's how we handle setback, here's how we celebrate, here's how we grieve, and we learn all that stuff growing up. And it's kind of our operating systems. When t- pe- t- people get married, it's like an apple in a windows, and you're like, okay, we don't quite know how to do that, or, you know, iOS and Android, and you're trying to figure out how to file share at this point, when when, when you, you're actually operating from different backgrounds, different operating systems. And so it's helpful for us to like figure out where does this stuff come from? And, and for some of us, you know, we, we look back two or three generations, like if your great-grandfather was an alcoholic, and your grandfather was an alcoholic, and your dad was an alcoholic, there's a generational legacy, you know, both in terms of like nature and nurture, that's heading your way. And one of the wisest things we can do is just be aware of that. And, and then if we're a Christ follower, we have, all, we have resources to break the chain. We have you know, resources to, to, to change the legacy and to actually give that to Jesus. Jesus, I, this is part of my past and I don't want it to be part of my future. Or abuse or or whatever it is. But as we start to look at that generational legacy, we often see these patterns. And so maybe even on your piece of paper, if, if you want to do this or do this later, you know, start to map out what is the what are the generational legacies that I've inherited. Some of those are going to be positive, some of those are going to be negative. And I'm here to tell you, and this is why these passages are so important. You know, even the negative parts of your past, Jesus can redeem it. Jesus can turn it around. That's why he came. That's why he's the savior of the world. That's why he breaks the power of sin by being our sacrifice for for himself to be our sacrifice for sin. He breaks its power by taking its power on himself and, and having it die with him on the cross. So what are, the, what are the, some of the things from your generational legacy that you want to pass on to your children and your grandchildren? Just take a moment, think about that. Your great-grandchildren. Just give that to him. Thank God for that legacy and pray for the generations that follow. We live in a time where there are, I mean, the the intergenerational relationships are harder than ever. Um, Many of you know I'm I'm doing a dissertational project that's kind of working on some of those things and looking to understand them. and um, So, you know, so for those of us who are, uh, and maybe those who are listening right now, and you're under the age of twenty, like you, because of, like so, there's so been so much societal change. It's almost like we are. It's almost like cross-cultural ministry. Uh, there's significant changes that happened after the year 2012, for example, with our with our kids and. So the, you know, Gen Z, what called Gen Z and so-called Gen Alpha are, live, are growing up in a very, very different world than ours because of the invention of the iPhone, among other things. And this technology that we can't escape, and yet it shapes every part of our lives. So there are significant intergenerational challenges, but what legacy do you want to leave for your children, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren, give that to the Lord. Ask Jesus to help. And, and, and for those things that are negative generational legacies, things that maybe you've received, things that you've been processing for a long time, that you've been dealing with, and you don't want to pass that on to your kids or your grandkids, or your great-grandkids. Give that to Jesus too. Jesus redeems families. And that's good news. So, and one of the great things about being part of a local church is we get to help one another with that. We get to be a version of family that supplements the biological family, that fills in some of the gaps, perhaps. We get to be father figures for one another, mother figures, surrogate grandparents. Oh, God bless you. We've got some amazing surrogate grandparents that right now are serving in children's church and... Surrogate grandparents, you get to, we get to be a part of shaping one another's generational legacies. We get to do this together. It's beautiful and it's powerful. Because Jesus, all of us are broken. And Jesus, you're the one. In fact, you're the only one who can make us whole. Would you pray with me? Let's pray. Jesus, every single one of us has got elements of our past, parts of our family history. So whether, whether that's in, and e- even those who may not be fully aware of their family history All of us have things that we're not proud of, that we regret. All of us have things from our past that have affected us. And you, Jesus, you can make us whole. Thank you that you can. Thank you that you do. Friends, I I just invite you under your breath just to take a moment with the Lord. Talk to him for a minute or two about the generational legacy you want to leave with your kids and grandkids and great-grandkids. And if there are particular things that you're... That you're asking him to break the cycle of. Give that to him. Give that to him. Jesus not only redeems individuals, Jesus redeems families. So, Lord, hear our prayer. Hear our prayer.